Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Let's just go ahead and jump into our text this morning. Our text this morning, uh, we are in a series called Church with a Question Mark. And the reason the question mark is there is because Paul is writing to the church of Ephesians. He's told them uh, up to this point what you should believe as a Christian as far as Jesus died to save not only the Jews but the Gentiles, which means mostly you and I as well because we're not Jewish, and that, that God's love is for everybody that would accept it, and that we need to take that doctrine and we need to take that and apply it to our lives. And so this passage and next week's passage will be just that. It'll be how do we apply what we know as church members and as believers and Christians? How does it look and how does it work when we go outside of of just the, the belief and the head knowledge? And how does it look when we act it out? And so our sermon today is imitate God. Imitate God. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And the, the scriptures I'll be reading are out of the New Living Translation. And again, if you are just tuning on, you can look in our description and there is a link. You should be able to click on that and see the outline. If you can't, let me know. Um, and I'll try to post it into the chat. Uh, we've got some, some, some great people here. I see that Linda has logged on. Good to see you, Linda. Uh, Linda, we're still praying for you. Linda recently lost her sister uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, Marion, uh, we are so glad to see you. And hey, Ellen, good morning. I know most of y'all in your pajamas, so you enjoy it, all right? But <laughs> we are, we're talking about imitating God this morning, all right? So first of all, we imitate what we focus on. We imitate what we focus on. I was talking to some friends the other day who had young children, and somehow we got on the subject of imitation. Now, for those of you that have children, grandchildren, or have kids that you have influence over, you know that they pick up on everything you say and do. Am I right? I mean everything. One word you may have said, or a song from their favorite cartoon, or a, a phrase that Hurt that you hear from a commercial, and sure enough, as I get into the sermon, there goes the lawnmower right beside us. So God, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your word is stronger than a lawnmower. And so Lord, I just pray for concentration. I pray for conviction. And Lord, I just pray for your spirit to tune us in to what you have. So again, everything you say and do, one word may have said a song from their favorite cartoon or a phrase that they heard from a commercial. It's all fair game. And there is a reason for that. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. And now here's the kicker in verse 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. My friends, it is not up to the church to teach your children spiritual values. We are here to to as encourage you and to give you tools and to support what you do. But ultimately as a parent, you it's it's your charge to repeat the stories of the gospel and the scriptures to them. It says repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road. 
when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and wear them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. My friends, if you as family members saturate your children with the scriptures, it's not a guarantee that everything will be rosy, but it is a guarantee that they will have the tools and the convictions that will either help them or guide them through those times. And we as a church encourage you in that, and we do all we can to reinforce that. And we do that by equipping you, equipping them, and and the different ministries that we have. But what we see here is that hopefully is that if you imitate the scriptures to your children, the children will imitate scriptures to their children and so on and so on. And many of you that are watching this and have grew up in church know that a big reason you came into church is because you were druggies. And what I mean by druggies is that your family drug you to church every time the doors were open. But look at you now. You're still involved in the church. Most of your children are involved in the church as well. And it's because they are imitating what they have seen. Yes, God wired children to imitate parents. So this was his plan all along. And yes, each child has their own temperament and personality, but their ability to imitate teaches them how to live. And this is how we learn and grow. So as we transition here, as believers in God, we are to imitate him. Ultimately, that is what we are to do. As a Christian, we are to imitate him. But also, Paul continues his instruction to the believers in the church at Ephesus by saying to imitate God. So let's look at verses 1 through 2. And our first point here is that imitate God in everything out of love. Imitate God in everything out of love. Parents, why do your children do everything you do and say everything you say? Is because they love you and they trust you and they want to be like you. That is why. So here it says the first two words in chapter one of Ephesians five imitate God. I mean, I could really just stop it there and end our time together because that is what we are to do imitate God. Therefore, so here we go. Therefore, in everything you do, everything. Everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, we must raise the standard, my friends. Paul says, therefore, because he has just instructed believers on how to treat one another. He now moves to how we should live in the world. Okay, so we see that here love is the antidote to bitterness. Notice Paul is countering the last two verses of chapter 4 that told believers to get rid of all bitterness. That's what he said in chapter 4. He ended up with whatever you do, these things that are making you bitter and you're holding on to, let go of them. Because he knew that as he comes into this next chapter that you have to let go of bitterness to be able to love. And and by the way, the original scriptures weren't divided up into um, chapters and to verses. It was just one long letter. But uh, these the chapters and the verses were, were created long ago so we could catalog and categorize all the, these letters are saying. So yes, love is the antidote to bitterness. 
In a world that is fueled with hate and division, the love that believers demonstrate should be different. We see that every day. Uh, it seems like everybody is divided. Um, we have seen division over politics. I mean, that's been around since the beginning of time, but it still is. Uh, we have seen division now over vaccinations and over COVID and all, you know, all of these different things that people want to get upset about. But as believers, how can we have our convictions but yet show love at the same time? Because it's not about division. We should be different. Love is not based on tolerance, my friends. Look, when I say we need to love one another, that doesn't mean that we all just need to have a big hug, drink a Coke, and have a smile, and, and let everybody live like they want to live. They can, People can live like they want to live, but we as believers in love need to live the truth out in front of them. And just because I do not agree with someone on a specific issue, it does not mean that I don't love them. When I was growing up and I wanted to spend the night at a friend's house and my parents would say, no, you can't. I did not agree with that, but I went along with it because they were my parents and I loved them. And these things that God says in his word, he is the authority. He is, he is the ruler. So when he says these things, we have found out that we must agree with them. And when we don't agree with them and when we go outside of those commandments and outside of those ways of living that he says, we reap the consequences of that, just as if we stay in line to the best of our ability with what he says, then we also reap the positive consequences of that as well. So not only that, our love should be sacrificial. Notice it says here that, that we follow the example of Christ and he loved us enough to offer himself as a sacrifice. If I could, let me just um, lead you to another verse, that I, one of my favorites that, that you can use Often it's called the Romans road when you're leading someone to Christ. And one of the, the, the apex verses of this is Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God, I love that, but God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, affection based love is based on serving one's own interest. When someone, their love for somebody else is just based on affection, infection alone, it means they're trying to feel their need to be loved. They want to love somebody. They, they get into the emotions and the, the physical benefits of affection, and they call it love. But the truth of the matter is, people often give affection to receive affection. Sometimes people offer love. To get love, you see that in a society today, today where the uh, institution of marriage is 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 under has been under attack and is is still under the attack. They've got all of these different times of like friends with benefits and and you know we can you know live together. We can do all of these things outside of God's uh, covenant of marriage. And true, you can, but it's like I told somebody. Um, a while back is that when we live outside of the covenant of marriage, when, when we do, or not even just marriage, anything, when God has given us an umbrella or a, a set of standards to be able to live under, when we live under the, that covenant, we are shielded from all of the things that could go wrong. We are shielded from bad, mis bad, bad, um, bad decisions because we're living how God wants us to do. But the thing is, is that when people are, are ignoring what God's word says and they say, well, that's old, that's outdated, that's fuddy-duddy, that's 
that's uh, that doesn't apply to today's needs. They're going to realize that when you come out of the covering of the covenant of marriage and whatever else you're under, the truth of the matter is, is that when rain falls and when, when life happens, you're not protected by that covenant. You, 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 you deal with all of the fallout of that. So the thing is, is that just affection-based love is usually superficial. It's usually physical. A lot of times uh, males will, will tell females that they love them and give them the emotional connections that they need just so that the females will give the men what they want, the physical connection. But the truth of the matter is, is that true love, true love is, and Jesus shows us this, true love is sacrificial. Sacrificial-based love is based on serving the needs of others. So love no longer becomes, this is what I need to get out of it. This is why when, when you talk with some couples, they'll say, well, you know what, I just don't love that person anymore. Well, my question is, how have you served that person? How have you sought to make their life better? And the truth of the matter is, is that if you can get a couple, one serving each other, and they try to outserve one another, they try to outbless one another, then the rest of that stuff just kind of takes its course. But sacrificial-based love is based on serving the needs of others, loving without any promise of receiving anything from them. It's based on loving the person enough to put their needs before your own. It's loving people when it's difficult. It's loving people when they're not acting lovable towards you and loving others like Jesus loves them. And also, to be honest, loving Jesus like he loves you. I got a question for you, and this is going to sound odd, but how do you smell to God? <laughs> so what? How do you smell to God? The imagery here in this passage of God smelling a beautiful aroma harkens back to the days of the worship of the Old Testament when his people would sacrifice on the altar their animals and the aroma of the smoke would be pleasing to him. It's almost like even if you walk out of a restaurant and your stomach is full, if you smell a steakhouse right down the street and you catch a waft of the, the meat that's cooking, you're still going to say, man, I can't eat another bite, but that makes me hungry. It's just that, that pleasing aroma smell. There's nothing like a good charcoal uh, grill with uh, meat on, or steak on the on the grill is there but the truth of the matter is is that that's a pleasing altar I mean that's a pleasing sense and when uh, God talk, talks about smelling a beautiful aroma back in the days of worship the priest would burn the incense of costly herbs and spices to please God as well as those animal offerings however when God's people would rebel and still continue to go through the religious actions. In other words, they would live like hell Monday through Saturday and live like heaven on Sunday. You know, that, that, that fake hypocritical thing. God saw right through that. And my friend, if that's you, he sees through it too. They went through the religious actions of worship and sacrifice, but he knew that they were insincere. Their words did not match what they were willing to do outside of the temple. Matter of fact, Isaiah 65 verse 5 gives us a glimpse into what God thought about that. Again, in Isaiah 65 verse 5, it says, Yet they say to each other, Don't come too close or you will defile me. I am holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. So you see, here's what Paul is saying here. If we truly love God, 
his son Jesus, and others, we will sacrificially love as Christ did. The needs of your spouse and your family will become before, before your own. Your prayers will lead you to sacrificial love for others. And even though you don't know those people, you will still want to show Christ's love to them. And those things that keep you from being all that God has called you to be will be let go of. I mean, just think about it. Let me ask you something, dear friend. If there is one thing that you would say, you know, I would really give my life fully to the Lord if it wasn't for this one thing. My question to you, my friend, is that one thing worth your eternity? Is that one thing worth eternal separation from God and those you love and spending eternity in hell and, and eternal punishment? You see, just as Christians will receive bodies that are made to endure heaven forever, those that are sent to hell will be given bodies that are built to endure torture for eternity. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be anyone I love. I don't want to be, I don't, want, I don't wish that on anybody, even my worst enemy. So the truth is, is we need to imitate God. We need to imitate God in the way that we love others and we serve them. The second thing that we see in verses three through seven is that imitating God means being obedient. Being obedient. You see, imitating God does not mean doing the things he has told you not to do. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verses 3 through 4 says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So what we see here is that, folks, you and I need to keep your carnal nature cravings in check. No matter what your age is, no matter how mature or immature you are, there is always going to be that inward craving to to satisfy your animalistic physical desires. Some of you say, well, preacher, I'm old enough. Those things have gone away. No, they haven't. You may not struggle with physical things, but there may be other things that you struggle with. I know you struggle because I struggle. We all struggle because we are all sinners and fall short of God's glory. But for believers, here's the thing. Again, this was written to Christians. It was written to the church at Ephesus. This was not written to lost people. So what we see here is that he's telling people in the church to stay away from these awful things of sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. That was in the church. And folks, there are plenty of churches that still... Have that in it because it's filled with people and people are sinners and we all are sinners. But here's the thing. Now that we know that he's talking to sinners, here, here's the rub. Why, do, why is the world in the shape it's in? Why do we look at our news and why do we look at our Facebook feeds and why do we see all this craziness going on? It's because those that do not know Christ, they do not know any better. They sin because they are a slave to sin. That's what Paul says. They are spiritually blind to the truth of the gospel. They have not received the love of Christ, or if they have, they have rejected it. So they don't know any better. If I see someone mess up and they didn't know any better, we call that ignorance. But if I see somebody that knows better, that does it anyway, we call that stupidity. And so here it is. 
for non-believers, when they sin, they don't have a choice. They are they are are driven by their sinful nature. However, believer, those of you watching this morning and myself, when we sin, it's because we choose to. We know better. We have been delivered from it, but we choose to run around in the pig slop anyway. Which is worse? Well, I think that is. You know, it's cute uh, when a child wants to jump in a mud puddle and gets as close as possible to it without getting wet. You can see the parents saying, don't jump in that mud puddle. Don't jump in that mud puddle. But it's not cute when the child looks straight at their parent and then jumps right in the puddle. A pure defiance of will. And folks, this is what believers do when they give in to their default of sin. They know better. They know they shouldn't jump in the puddle. But they look at God and they jump anyway. Here Paul gives a list of things people's sinful natures crave. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Folks, we can all agree that sexual immorality runs rampant in today's world. And it runs rampant in the modern church as well. God created something beautiful to be shared by a husband and a wife within the bonds of marriage. But yet Satan has distorted people's view of that. They have distorted, he's distorted people's view of the scripture to account for every kind of deviation. However, I think it's important to those quote-unquote good Christians, not only to think about those you know who are wrong, but to look at yourself. See, the temptation for a church member is to look at that, and you see there should be no sexual immorality or impurity. Immediately, your mind goes to the hot topics of today, of homosexuality, transgender, and all these other things. And, And yes, those are sins. But I'll tell you what, impurity is a sin, and greed is a sin. So if we are so quick to jump on the first part of this verse, we need to, even though we don't have an issue with that, we need to own the impurity, we need to own the greed, we need to own the things that are are holding us back. What do you put in front of your eyes and your ears, my friend? What do you allow into your minds and hearts. Do you allow those conversations that you know you should not jump in on or those jokes you should not laugh at or those things you should not say? Do you allow that to go on? If you do, you're just as bad as those that are sexually immoral. See, what about your impure thoughts and those feelings of greed and wanting power? Those are just as bad, my friends. So when you read this, don't think this is what other people need to do. Look at it and honestly say as a, as a Christian, what do I need to take away from this? And what do I need to change? And what do I need to work on? Because sexual morality, impurities, and greed all stem from one thing. That is the sin of selfishness and the need to satisfy your carnal physical drive that God created for marriage. Then we see in verse 4, we need to replace the wrong things with the right things. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, those are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Let me ask you, how can a potty mouth praise God and remind others of his goodness? You can't do that. Listen to what James says about the tongue. In James chapter 3, verses 9-11, through 11, he says, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? 
What Jesus is saying is, is that you can't have a potty mouth and praise the Lord at the same time. As a believer, you and I have no business being a part of trashy conversations. And by the way, just being silent and not saying anything, silence is often mistaken for approval. You say, well, I'm not going to say anything to them, preacher. Well, then they think that you're approving right along with them. Instead of jumping in, sharing those things. And the best way to shut down some of that bad, filthy talk in a potty mouth when you're with people that are doing that is that, man, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know what I'm thankful for? You know what I'm thankful that God has done? And all of a sudden, whatever they were, that, that train of thought they were on, all of a sudden it comes to an abrupt stop. And then all of a sudden... You're, you're giving an example of things to be thankful for. And the thing is, I'll be honest with you, they may look at you differently after that. They should look at you differently after that. But don't take it as an insult. It's because you have just showed them that there's a better use for your mouth than trash talk. And you have been an example of them. Now, you may not be invited to the next get-together that they have. But they're going to remember you changing the topic to quit talking about somebody or a subject that you shouldn't be talking about and talking about the Lord. In Ephesians 5, verses 5 through 7, it says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, a worshiper of things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. <laughs> Let me read that again. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. They twist scriptures out of context to make it fit. They try to pass laws that trump the spiritual truth of the Bible. All of these things that are going on, verse 6, Paul calls it out. And remember, again, he's talking to the church. He's telling the church, don't let these things infiltrate the church and your life. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things that people do. Notice how Paul is focusing squarely on the behavior of the believers. And it's important to see that Paul is addressing members of the church that have started acting like those they are supposed to be witnessing to. Folks, unbelievers act in immoral ways because, again, they don't know any better. So it's a lot easier for an unbeliever to pull down a believer and say, pull them down into their mess than it is for a believer to pull someone up out of their mess. It's just... It's, it's physics, it's, it's the truth, it's, just, it's harder to do. But how many believers have said, well, I will never, and then insert whatever that is there. Oh, I will never do this. I will never do that, only to find themselves in that exact situation. Believers, we're not to join in. We are to live the difference in front of those that are searching. And also, I mean, again, we're talking about not just for the lost, but I don't know about you, but if I'm surrounded by a believer that's that's committed and encouraging, it's going to encourage me to do the same thing as well. But let I me mean, just tell you, like verse 6 says, don't buy into the excuses. All will be left without an excuse. And then verse 7, don't join them. Then our third point, you know, every preacher, we've got to have three points, and so you know we're winding down, but... The third point, imitating God means letting Christ's light shine through you. It's one thing not to do what others are doing, but allowing yourself, allowing Christ's light to shine through you. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 14. 
Starting with verse 8, he says, For once you were full of darkness, and I remember my life when I was full of darkness, when I didn't know the Lord. You were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You know what? When your power goes out at night and you need a flashlight, you find the flashlight, you flip the switch, and you expect it to work, right? The light scatters the darkness. And folks, believers who have Christ's light within them, you are expected to shine when days get dark. People are looking to you as the spiritual flashlight to show them the light of Jesus. Is that really unreasonable? If you wear a jersey that says you are part of Jesus' team, if you tell people you are part of Jesus' team, just like a football player, if you wear the, the jersey of a football team, they're going to expect you to get on the field and play some. Is it unreasonable for people to hold you accountable to say, if you are a Christian, then they expect you to live differently, to let your light shine through? It's not unreasonable. It's, it's factual. It's fair. It's true. If someone finds a cure for cancer, wouldn't you expect them to share it? Because lives depend on it, right? So my friends, if you have the, the true remedy of eternal life is Jesus Christ from inside of you, and there are eternal lives at stake. Why would you not put yourself in a position to share it, to let God use it? It says in verse 10, it reminds us to invest our time into what pleases God. You see, there is a, a great currency today, and it's not money. How do you know what's important to somebody? Look at the time that they spend. You show me somebody that says that God is important to them. All right, let's talk about your schedule and see how much time you're giving to God. People say, well, I'm a family person. Okay, well, let's look at your calendar, how much is spent with your family. All right, you know, all of these things, invest your time into what pleases God. It says in verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord and take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. I'll tell you, when, when I read that passage, that term worthless deeds really sticks out to me at least instead expose them verse 12 it is shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them why are people in the midst of sin mad at christians and mad at god and they want to take the accuracy and the authenticity and the inerrancy of God's word and try to attack it is because of this is when the light shines on them, they don't like it and they are exposed for the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. What we see here in this passage is that committing evil deeds is worthless. There is no need to cut open a tree that already shows signs of being dead and rotting. These things God lays out in his word are wrong and we know it. So don't spend the limited time you and I have on this earth doing evil, worthless deeds. You see, all will be, all will be made known in the light. It says it right here. Yes, all of our intentions will be revealed in the light. It's kind of like if you walk into a room of a, a place that's not very clean and you turn on the light and you see the floor moving and you see roaches scattering because of the light. That's the way it's going to be when, when the light of Jesus hits this world and there is no coming back. We went, we just recently went through the book of Revelation as a church. You remember that, right? 
This is the very reason biblical truth and the authority and inerrancy of God's word has come under such fierce attack. The assumption is if you remove the scriptures, then they cease to be true. How dumb is that? My friends, you can take the word of God out of schools. You can take the word of God out of the law, the halls of law. You can take it out of our Constitution. You can take it off of our money. You can do whatever you want to it, my friend, but it does not negate its authority. It does not negate its trustworthiness, and it does not negate the fact that it is true, and it will come true, and it will either help you or you will be judged by it. And I'm talking about myself as well. The word of God exposes evil for what it is. You can destroy a science book, but gravity will still work every single time. Once you have been exposed to the evilness of your deeds, your choice is to do nothing and to face the judgment or to plead to Jesus for forgiveness and to find that forgiveness that you're seeking. So what does it mean for you and I, church? It means that it's time for believers to wake up, shape up, and shine the light of Christ. Again, this is what it was said in the last verse of verse 14, the last half of verse 14. This is why I, this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Jesus lived a different life so that we may model that for others. Again, why did Jesus have to leave his throne? leave his glory and deny his divinity and all of the power there to come to this earth and live as a human being. Now he was not 50% human and 50% divine. He was 100% human and 100% divine. And the reason he came to this world is to show us and to give us a pattern and for people to be able to see God in a way that they wouldn't be killed by looking at it. You see, this world needs believers who will live the difference in front of them. They need people that will live sacrificially and love them sacrificially and show them that you don't need evil actions to find happiness. It's up to you and I, believers, to show people and to tell people that there is a better way to find hope than the despair that they're living in. A lot of people are in terrible habits and terrible addictions because they don't know how to get out. And it's the only way they find comfort, even if it's just for a moment. But they don't realize the toll that it's taking on them and their body and their soul. Share with them that Jesus loves them and wants to forgive them if they will confess, repent, and believe. And that's what we all should do, my friends. And so as we come to the end of our sermon here, the end of our time together, let me just encourage you, if you are a believer and you're doing all that you know that you can do to live the light for the Lord, then let me just commend you. Thank you for being a soldier of God. I know many people have seen the names that are on here that, that you're such an encouragement to me. But no matter how good you are at it, even though I've got pastor in my name, there are things I need to work on. There are things that this scripture hits in my life. And I pray that there are things that hit in your life as well. And my friends, if you are someone that is watching this video either live or watching it later and you need Jesus Christ, you need that forgiveness, or maybe you're a church member somewhere and you need encouragement to keep living the life that Paul lays out for us to live, 
then uh, please reach out to me. You can comment here. You can send me a message on Facebook, whatever it may be. But we'll get you, we'll get you the help that you need. But most of all, we'll get you Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our time today. And Lord, if there is one person that's listening to this broadcast, either live or later, that needs to know you, may they reach out. May they say, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I'm tired of living in darkness. I'm tired of living by my own rules and messing them up every time. God, I know you're there. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. My friend, if that's you, please reach out. If you don't reach out to me, reach out to your pastor or someone you trust that knows about spiritual things. And dear Heavenly Father, I pray for the many that are church members, that Lord are, are just constantly doing the best they can to the best of their ability to make you known. I know that you see them, and I pray that you honor their efforts. I thank you for this church, Lord, and I pray for those that are sick and probably not even feeling like even watching this this morning. But Lord, uh, you have showed us time and time again through this pandemic that, Lord, uh, there is no one way to do things. And the Lord, sometimes we just have to be flexible and know in the good times and the bad times you are still in control. So, Lord, as we spend our time online for this week and next week, may we continue to, to reach out to this world. May we continue to use this platform. And, oh, I just look for the day where we can get back together in church and praise you, Lord. I pray again for these families that are sick, for these that are well. And, Lord, as we continue to reach out as a church, Lord, it's not just in the building. It's in our homes. It's in our lives. It's in every part of our being, Lord. So thank you for this church, and thank you for this worship service, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.